Moramori went missing on February 9, 2004, after crashing her car into a snowbank in rural New Hampshire. Did she wander into the snow and become a victim of the elements? Did she run away? Or was she met with something far more sinister? I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Laura was born on May 4, 1982, in Hanson, Massachusetts, to Fred and Lori Murray. She had three older siblings and one that was younger. The Murray couple divorced when she was six. The kids would go on to live with their mom, but saw their dad on a regular basis, and he always stayed active in their lives. She was described by family and friends as being free-spirited, someone who loved to laugh and loved the outdoors. She hiked often, an interest she shared with her father. In high school, she was on the track team and ran cross country, and her dad was the coach. She did well in school, as well as on the field. After graduation, she went to West Point, a prestigious military academy in West Virginia. She had followed in her sister's footsteps and decided that she would study chemical engineering, but only finished three semesters. She was brought before a disciplinary board seven times in 2001 and seemed to have a rebellious streak. She withdrew suddenly after another strike against her. During a trip with her classmates to the notorious Fort Knox, Mora was caught shoplifting from the commissary on the base. She had stolen some kind of makeup, valued at around $5. She was eventually forced to withdraw on January 2, 2002. After this, she enrolled in the nursing program at the University of Massachusetts. She was now juggling a very demanding program which included clinicals and also working two part-time jobs. She maintained her long-distance relationship with her boyfriend, Billy Rausch, whom she had met and started dating during her time at West Point. Billy was stationed in Fort Sill in Oklahoma and was known to be there at the time she went missing. Their relationship was on again and off again as the pair found it difficult to stay faithful, but she seemed to be really trying to make it work with him. In November of 2003, she got in trouble again after she was caught buying food several times with a credit card that didn't belong to her. The total charge to the card was less than $100. After the woman who owned the card noticed the charges, she contacted the police and the purchase was tracked back to Mora's dorm. Multiple pizzas, sandwiches, and salads were ordered each time, as if she were sharing food, but no one was ever found to have been with her. Mora claimed that she found a receipt in one of the dorm bathrooms which had the card number printed on the bottom, and she just used it to order food. She claimed she didn't have the actual card. This is possible, as some companies printed the card number on receipts all the way up until 2009. When police did show up at her apartment, catching her in the act, they said she was alone. This led many to believe that she had been struggling with binge eating or bulimia. At her hearing, identity theft and fraud were taken off the table with the understanding that she would pay the amount back and stay out of trouble for a three-month probationary period. By February 5, 2004, she was working late nights at the security desk in a dorm building not far from hers and seemed to be doing well and was back on track. However, that night during her shift around 1 a.m. after answering a phone call at the desk, Morris started to sob uncontrollably and was inconsolable. She had taken two calls earlier in the night as well on her cell phone. The only thing she said was, my sister. 
So her supervisor decided the best thing to do was to send her home. She wanted to stay with her or send someone to stay, but Mora assured them that her roommate was home and that she would be fine. This was just the beginning of a sequence of lies. Mora lived alone and had no roommate. It would later be discovered that she had talked to her sister that night around 10, but it had been a normal conversation, according to the sister's initial statement. Her sister would later reveal that she called Mora because she had relapsed. She had entered rehab, but as soon as she had been released, her fiance picked her up and took her to a liquor store, and she had spiraled from there. He was not okay with the thought of her sobriety. The next call she got that night was from her boyfriend, Billy. That call ended around 12.15 a.m. and had only lasted a few minutes. It was the next call to the security desk that was made around 12.40 that ended with Mora in tears. This call was found to have been made by an unknown caller from a phone on the college campus. The next day went on as normal, and then Saturday, Mora was picked up by her dad. He was taking her car shopping to find a replacement for her 1996 black Saturn, which was on its last leg. After shopping, the pair picked up another friend of Mora's named Katie, and the three went out to dinner. Katie said there wasn't a word spoken of the car, or shopping for a new one. After dinner, they stopped and bought alcohol for a friend's party. Mara drove to the hotel her father was staying at, and he allowed the girls to take his car to the party. She was to return his brand new Camry later that night. Her friends at the party later said that they couldn't remember anything about the party, who was there, who talked to Mora, or when she left, seeming very suspicious, but ultimately leading nowhere. She apparently left someone between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. to return her father's car. She had been drinking and ended up wrecking the car and totaling it. Damages were found to be somewhere between eight dollars and $10,000. There was no indication that she was tested for sobriety at the scene, although she had just driven straight into a guardrail. She was never charged with a DUI or anything for that matter. The car was towed to the hotel and somehow she got into her dad's locked hotel room. She didn't have a key to the room and none of the staff claimed to have let her in. Fred, her father, woke up to find his daughter asleep in the room and still to this day has no idea how she got in or how she managed to do it all without waking him. Mora called her boyfriend around 4.49 a.m. about an hour after the wreck and the call was made from her dad's cell phone. Her father claims he wasn't mad and told her not to worry as the insurance would take care of it. They rented a car for the day and her father dropped her off at her door. He talks to her again around 11 that night. They made plans to go pick up the accident report the next day. An hour after that call, she searches for directions from her place to Burlington, Vermont on good old MapQuest. She ends up printing directions to a place called Stowe, Vermont. The following day, Monday morning, a snowstorm hit the area, blanketing everything and canceling classes for the day. Billy, Moore's boyfriend, attempted to call her several times that morning, failing but leaving several voice messages. He never received a call back, but eventually was sent an email from Mora saying, quote, I love you more, stud. I got your messages, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking to much of anyone. I promised to call today though. Love you, Mora, end quote. After this, he continued to try and call her again, but she refused to pick up. Around noon, a three-minute phone call was made to a condo in Bartlett, New Hampshire. Her family was known to vacation there from time to time as she was growing up. 
Her next step was to call a friend, whom she had borrowed a lab coat from. She spoke to her for a minute, and the girl reassured her that it was all right. She didn't need the coat back anytime soon. However, later that day, the girl heard a knock on the door, and when she opened it, she found a bag with the clothes at her feet, but no Mora. Then Mora emailed her job supervisors and also school supervisors and told them that she would not be attending work or school that day or for the next few days, as she had a death in the family and would be returning home for a few days. This is thought to be a way for her to buy time, maybe to get away for a while. No one in Mora's family had passed at that time, and it was clearly another lie, or possibly a cry for help. She calls a few other hotels and condos in the town and around the area in Vermont, but she never books anything. She attempts to call her boyfriend around two that afternoon and is met with his voicemail. She leaves a short message saying that they will talk soon. He's apparently on the phone with Katie, Mora's friend at the time, and is trying to figure out what's going on with Mora. Billy's friend said that he was a little controlling of Mora and would call her friends to find her if he couldn't get in touch with her himself. He tried to call her back after hearing her voicemail and all three calls again went to voicemail. Playing a little game of phone tag here. Sometime that afternoon, Mora packed up her dorm room. She placed the packed boxes on her bed along with a printed copy of emails between her and Billy. The emails were a discussion from some months before when Billy had apparently cheated on her. They had discussed this and either stayed together or worked it out or had gotten back together afterwards. Either way, it seems it was not something that had left her mind. So now it's around 3 p.m. She loads her car with some of her belongings, but not all of them, and heads to a nearby ATM. There, she withdrew about $280, nearly clearing her bank account at the time. Her next sighting is at a liquor store just down the road from the ATM, where she bought $40 worth of alcohol. At some point in time during all of this, she also managed to stop and pick up the accident report she needed to pass on to her dad from the Massachusetts DMV. Between 4 and 5 p.m., she heads north towards the White Mountain, New Hampshire area. The last outgoing call from her cell phone was at 4.37, and she called the voicemail at her dorm. Then her cell pings for the final time at a tower in Londonbury, New Hampshire northeast of where she had left in Amherst, Massachusetts, and not far enough north for White Mountain. Then, at 7.27, a local resident of Woodsville, New Hampshire reported an accident to the Sheriff's Department out on Route 112. The woman had said that she saw the black car facing the wrong direction on the side of the road. It had slid off and into a snowbank. The caller reported seeing a man smoking a cigarette in the passenger seat, but this was never confirmed and the witness later admitted that it could have just been light from a cell phone that she saw. Another neighbor said that they saw a person walking around the car, and the police were dispatched immediately. The route she was on that day was a small and windy two-lane county road, and a fresh layer of snow had just fallen that morning. The area was very rural, but there were residential houses around her everywhere, and she could have sought help if she wanted to. At 7.33 p.m., 10 minutes after the accident was reported, a bus driver headed home for the night, saw the car in the snowbank, and stopped to check on its occupants. Butch Atwood was his name. He stopped and spoke to Mora, asking if she needed help or if she was hurt. She seemed okay and sober, 
and he offered up his home to her to wait while the police came, since she was shaken up and understandably freezing. However, at the mention of this, Mora insisted the police not be called, as she already called AAA, which of course is an insurance company. But this was discovered to be yet another lie. So Butch goes home and by 7.43 has now called the police and reported the accident anyways. Then just three minutes later, an officer arrives, as they had already been aware of the incident. When Officer Cecil Smith shows up, he finds the black Saturn just as the caller said it would be, facing east on the westbound side of the road. The airbags had been deployed and the driver window was cracked, along with damage to the front end. But the car was empty. He checks the immediate area to see if she got out and walked away from the car. And since there's fresh snow on the ground, it should be fairly easy. But he sees nothing. The car was locked and a box of red wine was spotted in the back seat, along with spilled red liquid on the driver's seat and door. It's not clear if the liquid spilled because of the accident or if she had the accident because she was drinking at the time of the crash. There was another thing that they found suspicious. When they arrived at the empty car, a towel had been shoved into the car's tailpipe. But Fred Murray would later tell police that he told his daughter to do this because her car was always breaking down. It's not clear how he believed this would help. If you do this, you will destroy your car's engine if it is running. The exhaust needs to get out somehow, and clogging that pipe is a terrible idea. The only thing I can assume is that it was a white towel or flag signaling that you need help or your car has broken down and you have given up. But that can just as easily be hung out of a window. Butch Atwood, the bus driver, came out and talked to the police after seeing an ambulance arrive at the scene. He claims he and Officer Smith drove around the area trying to locate the girl that Butch had spoken to. But there was no record of this officially, just his statement. The police eventually assumed Mora had fled the scene. Maybe because she was drunk and didn't want to be caught driving drunk again. But then she was reported as missing the following evening on February 9th, 2004, after police made an attempt to locate her but were unable to find her after calling her father, as he happened to be working out of town. Morris' sister was able to get him on the phone later that day and informed him of the situation. He immediately called the sheriff's department and spoke with them, as he had been working with them ever since. When Billy heard Mora was missing, he bought a ticket to New Hampshire immediately and kept trying to call her cell phone periodically. He cut the phone off during his flight and received a message while it was turned off. The message was just a soft female voice sobbing into the phone, and it only lasted a few seconds. The call was found to have been made using a prepaid phone card. The Christmas before, Mora was given two of these cards by Billy's mom, and she was known to use them often when she didn't have a cell phone. The caller was never positively identified, and it seems an almost impossible coincidence. If it was Mora, why didn't she say anything on the voicemail? She left us with nothing, and Mora remains missing to this day. All right, guys, there you have it. There is the infamous case of Mora Mori. Um, we kind of drug our feet getting to this one. Yep. Didn't we, babe? Yep. <laughs> Kristen is here again with me, as always. And we decided that we were going to save save the speculation, save all of the theories uh, for this part of the show. Mm -hmm. 
which we typically do, but sometimes I like to discuss it during the timeline. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Some it's, of them are like, m- like more than just theories. That's it's usually why. Exactly. Exactly. It, yeah. Like if the theory has some some background, some type of evidence, some mm-hmm. something that I can tie to that theory to give it some type of cred, then I'll try to bring it up during the retelling. Mm-hmm. But I, I, these are just. It could be one just as much as it could be the other, though. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing to disprove these theories, really, I guess. Or we'll talk about it. Um, So let's get right into these. Uh, Here's some internet theories, as we like to call it. If you search Reddit, if you search... I mean, there's this case is insanely popular. What, it's 13 years old. Um, It's insanely popular. If you've been in true... Huh? 04? 18 years. 18 years old. I'm sorry. Um, so if you've been in the true crime world for any amount of time, you've you've probably heard the name Mora Mori. Um, so let's go over some of these theories. Number one, dad helped her flee the country. Did she run away? She was reading books about people who had gone into the wilderness unprepared. And there have been possible sightings in Quebec, but nothing confirmed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what kind of books was she reading? What do you mean? She was just reading about people surviving in the wilderness. Yeah, she was like specifically reading a book that talked about people who had went into the wilderness and um and and been unprepared. Mm-hmm. But this what's interesting about this theory is that it ties in with the the theory just underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's that's what to me makes this more of like a huge like conspiracy theory. Like I don't think this is possible because in order for this this to have lined up i guess like so much stuff had to fall into place right but um so the theory is that mara was running you know she was in a little bit of legal trouble so she's running from these things yeah but very misdemeanor charges at most right okay but here's the theory you know the night that she was at work and she got the phone call and she broke down right and no one could really figure out what it was she said it was her sister but even when her sister came out and was like well we were talking about me you know kind of falling back and Mm -hmm. relapsing or whatever that still doesn't seem like something that would have just like just like sent her over the edge because at work they were like she wouldn't even speak she wouldn't say anything she acted like but it could have been that in combination with other things and that just set her off but the theory is okay that night around the same time there was a guy on campus, there was another student from um, Massachusetts, uh, University of Massachusetts, okay. named Petrit Vasi. Right. Okay, and he was hit by a car, and the person that hit him fled the scene. Okay. Okay. Now, we know it couldn't have been her that hit him, because at the time she was at work. But the theory that the internet has is that somebody used her car and hit him. Mm-hmm. And then called her, freaking out, was like, "Holy crap!" You know, they thought he was dead. He, uh, Mr. Vasi, ends up surviving. He's in critical condition for a while. Okay, but um, he ends up surviving the hit and run, and he can't remember anything. But there wasn't evidence of her car being crashed into. Well, his, see, was but there? the next time we see her cars, when it's crashed into the bank, the snow bank. Oh yeah, that's see, so true. then there's damage to the front end. The driver's. The driver's side window is cracked. Like you really think that car could have survived two crashes because the airbags were deployed. You don't mm-hmm. drive somewhere down the interstate with your airbags deployed. I see, and that's what makes me. I'm like, it, 
for me, this is a far-fetched theory. Agreed. But there, I think the these are two unrelated instances here. That now this has piled on top of her DUI and her stealing and her credit right. card fraud, and that her dad decides the best thing for her to do is just you know, her and her dad are okay. like, you know, we'll get over, we'll start over fresh, and uh-huh. you know, get a new ID and flee. The, it just seems very like James Bondish to me, like too far-fetched. Yeah. Like all this stuff had to happen. And, right. And like you said, her, her legal problems didn't really seem like they were something she really needed to flee not, from. Not, yeah, because she just kept getting slaps on the wrist yeah. anyways. Mm-hmm. Like she would go in and they'd be like, oh, well, you don't have to pay any charges or no yeah. jail time. Just promise not to do this for three months. I'm I mean, like, they didn't even the test her for the DUIs. Each, right. I mean, she's multiple car accidents in at this right? point. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. To me, that's a far-fetched, super far-fetched theory mm-hmm. i agree i agree all right so there was another another theory mm-hmm. rumor has it that she dated her assistant track coach uh when she was broken up with billy for mm-hmm. a period of time i didn't um, put his name in there but his name his last name is hassan his last name is hassan mm-hmm. okay he had connections to white mountain and then claimed that she was sleeping with others on the team after she disappeared. Yeah. So after she disappears, he comes out and he's like, okay, she wasn't just sleeping with me. She was sleeping with everybody. So that to me seems okay. like somebody going on defense. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I don't know how much track anything So Hassan did not deny sleeping with her though no. and being Mm-mm. with her. Mm-mm. No, he claims that they okay. were together and had an affair and he is part of an outdoorsman's club that has a cabin in White Mountain that is free for members to use. Right. And wasn't she looking up White Mountain she, or exactly. an area near it? She, her first, or the second direction she printed out were for White Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's why some people are like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe he gave her the access code to the cabin and she right. was headed up there for the weekend. But, um, but like I said... But we, you don't think he's involved? I, no. I don't think he's involved no, either. No, I have a theory, but I don't think, I don't think any of these people All right, are well, well, we'll talk about your theory last, yes. I guess. <laughs> okay, so uh, next theory. Body in basement. Two dogs and a radar indicated a corpse in the same area. Previous mm-hmm. owner refused to allow police to search. So there's this famous A-frame-shaped house in the area that's just right there where she crashed her car. Okay. And the previous owner refused to let police come in and search his property after she went missing. Um, apparently, according to some of the people, he acted suspicious. Uh-huh. But you're talking about someone who lives out in the sticks, like right. in the in nowhere, New Hampshire. No one's around. Like, there's no telling what they had that they didn't want police to come find. Right, right. You know, not now, necessarily was this, Now, was this near the crash site? Yes, it's like right oh. where she crashed her car. Oh. Okay, so, and then... I thought you I thought you initially said that it was near campus, and I was going to be like, well, she didn't. She uh, was no. seen out of outside of campus. Yeah, so. it's where she crashed her car. So that's why people mm-hmm. are like, oh my God. So years later, the, the, init- the original owner moved out, and another couple moved in, and they allowed people to come in and search their home mm-hmm. because it was never searched initially. So... A team comes in with cadaver dogs, and two cadaver dogs um, indicated the same space in the basement as a possible area of a body being. Right. So they brought in radar, and radar showed the same thing, that there was a possibility of human remains underneath the floor in the basement. Okay. Because now there's like a cement floor 
in the basement. They'd mm-hmm. have to like tear up the whole entire thing. And the dad, um, Fred Murray, uh, or Murray is trying to get, um, I think the, the governor or, you know, so, somebody to pay for having this done. Okay. Because they would have to pay the homeowner to tear up their house. Basically. Oh my God. Yeah. On a possibility. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So I don't know. How, I don't know how much about that one. It is sus. Right. It, yeah. It is, it's, it's, it's highly like suspicious. If it's not a person, you know, and you know, we talked about in, in the case, in the timeline, we talked about how she crashed in a rural area, but there were homes nearby and mm-hmm. she could have went to one of mm-hmm. them for help and then been taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, she didn't seem to want help. You know, everybody that stopped, she just kind of sent them. Yeah. On. But when you sit out in the cold for a few hours, you might <laughs> yeah. change your damn mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but they were there um, in minutes. True, true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, next theory. Stepdad says that Fred is not as close as she says, but Fred and stepdad hate each other because Mora's <laughs> mom and dad divorced because her mom was unfaithful. With the stepdad. Okay, so okay. so the stepdad is trying to say that Fred and Mora don't he's have saying, the close relationship yep. that, the stepdad, uh, that the dad says. Yep, he's saying Fred's putting on a show. So what does that mean? Is he saying that Fred is involved that, in yeah, this? Yeah, that we should basically look into what Fred... There are people who have suggested... What does Fred have to gain from getting rid of his daughter? I really don't know, but there are a lot of people who have suggested that maybe because he couldn't get... Like, nobody could get in touch with him the day after, mm-hmm. and he claims he was just out of out of town on work. Um, but to me, I'm like, what if he was just out of town on work? Mm-hmm. Like, it's very possible. Like, yeah. it's not... But they were like, they point to the fact that he went to multiple ATMs and he drew out money, but okay. he was also trying to help her purchase a car. So right, he needed right, down right. payment money. And we know AP- ATMs a- have limits. Limits. Yeah. So you have to go to multiple ones. So like mm-hmm. that can be explained too. And then again, this is the stepdad who the dad and stepdad have, they have a, you know, working relationship, but you can tell there's an animosity there. This Absolutely. is the other man who is now married to the woman right. you were married to. like, And he so, was with her before you were divorced, apparently. Yeah. And none of this came out until, like, you know, he wasn't bad-mouthing him before the case. Mm-hmm. There was no, like, like uh, public displays or anything like that. This, this just is his opinion now. Of course. I guess. And he can have, he probably has plenty of resentment towards exactly. Fred. So. so take that one with a grain of salt. Yeah, I'm taking all these with a bunch of salt. Um, <laughs> the next one. Uh, a serial killer? Yes. A month after Mora and 17-year-old girl named... A month after Mora went missing, a 17-year-old girl named Brianna Maitland also went missing. Her car was found abandoned about 100 miles from where Mora's was found. Mm-hmm. And she has also never been found. And police say the cases are not connected. Yes. But, I mean... I mean, not they, connected in know? the things that they found. <laughs> I mean, you have exactly. two cars where two young girls are missing afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, what else could you really, how, how else could you connect these two? Yeah. But I mean, other than the fact that they were, I mean, they both fit a physical type. They were both like dark haired younger girls. But Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, these are two, two girls who just happened to break down. I don't know about Brianna if she broke down, but her car was only found a hundred miles from where Mara's was found. Right, right. So that's where some people draw this conclusion. 
But the police think that these are two completely unconnected cases that just happen to happen in a smaller area. Right. Well, of course. And you don't want to terrify people in this small rural area either. But I'm like... Saying that like in this 100 mile stretch, we got a fucking serial killer out here and like we need to... We need to buckle down, right? Yeah. So that would terrify people. But um, myself, and I'm pretty sure you as well, believe that I think Laura wanted to dis. I mean, Maura wanted to disappear. I do too. Yeah. I think leading, if we looked at the signs leading up to her disappearance, there are red flags all throughout it. She, um, for one, was constantly lying to everyone. Yes. So that in itself, even even things that's that seemingly weren't that important. To lie about. Yeah. yeah. And that in itself makes you very hesitant to believe anything she says. Right. You know. So, so as far as like how she was doing, I don't think anyone is aware of how she was really doing mm-hmm. because she didn't tell nobody for real. Obviously. Right. But um, I think the the. The contacting of the friend who she had not contacted in a while to return yeah. items. That was a little weird to me. I was like, why Why is it such an urgency to get this back to this person? Right, so much so that you drove all the way to her house mm-hmm. and left it on her doorstep, but and didn't talk to her. people are like, well, she was making plans. You know, she was making future plans. She had tickets to go see Dane Cook. Um, like the next weekend. And... <laughs> Dane Cook. Wow, that really dates the case, huh? Well, I'm like... I haven't heard him in a while. I'm like... Yeah. I know it sounds bad, but I'm like, that's not necessarily something like strong enough to keep me alive for. Right. Either. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's your only <laughs> argument. I is... mean, yeah, Dane Cook was great in his time, but yeah, if, if, if you're ready to check out, that's yeah. not going to be and the, they're like, the well, deciding she was factor. planning on marrying her boyfriend, and I'm like, yeah, but how serious was that? Because say... they're both cheating on each other. Right, you know, right. This... It all just seems like there's too much um, falsity around everything she does and says yeah. to believe that somebody just snatched her. Like she just happened to be the victim of foul play. Right. I think she did not want to be found when she left. And when she hit the embankment, I think it's very possible that she just got out of her car. I know people are like, well, it was it was snowing. It was cold. She wouldn't have lasted long. She also just downed a shit ton of alcohol. Mm-hmm. So she would have been able to be out in the cold for a little while. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Or maybe and she called somebody to come get her. She had a phone that's card. That's very possible. Somebody right? just but, drove by and pick her up. Right. Or they were driving because tandem even. If you use the phone card, mm-hmm. right, it wouldn't be traced. It wouldn't have pinged from her cell phone. Nope. Yeah. But it's just like even the cell phone, the fact that she was avoiding phone calls. She wanted everybody, she wanted to distance herself from people. Right. She didn't Why want would people you not to want talk to talk her out because, of something. Exactly. Because exactly. you don't want somebody to talk you out of it. That's what I was just about to say. That's why she kept playing phone tag with her dad and with yep. her boyfriend. Like she wasn't answering these calls. I mean, he calls, calls her and, almost immediately back. He calls her multiple times and then she calls him and is unable to get him. The one time, and then he calls her almost immediately back, and right. she doesn't answer the phone. She's avoiding these phone calls. Yeah, it you seems know? that way. It, it really does. And but that it's still was amazing. One big thing that made me think. But it's still amazing that this young woman can disappear off the face of the earth completely mm-hmm. in a snowstorm on the side of the road. I think the reason she hasn't been found is because the area she that they searched. Um, so where her car was sitting, the map is very west of where her car, the search area, and her family thinks that she got out and probably headed east 
because there's only a few miles on the east side of her car that have been searched. But Mara was, uh, you know, she had went to West Point. She was trained in military and survival tactics. Um, she could have made it a distance out there. She could have made mm-hmm. it a while out there. Even. That's true. That's true. And, you know, people point to, oh, well, she didn't take her, th- um, the stuff she had in her car. A lot of people point to what she did and, and didn't take with her. They're like, oh, well, she planned on coming back, obviously, because all these things. And it's like, but think of all the things she didn't take. She didn't load her car down and take her stuff like she was moving. She just packed it all up and put it on the bed. Right. To me, as if cleaning up after yeah, making, herself so making, no one else would have Yes, to. making it easy on her relatives, yeah, on her family who like. comes and cleans up her things. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it is mind-boggling that we haven't found her body if she's if she's not alive anywhere it's it's like where is she but i think you know so many times we come back and we find the body two or three miles from the search area mm-hmm. or a mile from where it went missing and it's, it, that's the case in so many things that when there's a search and these searches are made up of like four or five cops and the victim's family right right most of the time so it's not even like it's like you know, spread out grids, dogs, you know. Yeah, it's not like when a child goes missing, yeah, right? It's, it's when an adult goes missing, everyone's a, a little more lenient. They're like, well, maybe different. she wants to go missing. And in this case, it really was because they thought maybe perhaps she had fleed. Yeah. Because she was just drunk driving and she didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. So they really didn't have a, um urgency, it seemed, when they were looking for her at first. Right. Which they rarely do when adults yeah, go missing. You know, it's 48 hours and then mm-hmm. who knows how long after that. It just depends on the case, yeah. previous circumstances. But yeah, to me, it seems like she was planning an exit. Mm-hmm. All these pieces, they, the way that they lay out. Um, she was either planning an exit from life or she was wanting to start a new one. Yes. And either way, it seems that she was successful. I don't know where she ended up. Maybe she took off to Canada or something Maybe. like who knows and started a new life. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. But like you say, you know, she was reading survival books and she was also at a military uh, university, you know, being at West Point. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, there's, there's a good chance that she could have, she could have survived out there a while on her skills, mm-hmm. you know, and who knows what she took with her. But um, yeah, hopefully one day we'll have closure for this. Yeah. Hopefully one day. And uh, honestly, I think that house needs to be searched, though. I mean, that close, it's and then a weird too. yeah, multiple cadaver dogs say that there's a body, yeah. and then radar says that there's. I mean, like her it, dad It's 2022. Said, like, let's take a look at it. You even know what if I'm it's saying? not her body, somebody it's somebody's in there. body. Yeah. Like we should still know. Who it could be it? the 17 year old. <laughs> yeah, the girl that went missing. Yeah, could be well both could of be. them in the same grave. Mm-hmm. For all we know. Yep. Um. So yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. But I know what we should check out right now, and that's Lauren's synopsis. All right? All right, guys. Well, we'll see you on the other side. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. Here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The infamous disappearance of Maura Murray. Uh, This is one of those cases that's unavoidable if you're in the true crime world. 
you've heard the name Maura Murray for sure. If you've been in true crime for any extent of time, whether you're a listener or a content creator of true crime, you've definitely heard the name. And I am admittedly out of the loop on this one and have been for a while. I've never really dug into it um, until the last day or two just to study for this synopsis. And I can see why it's captured so many people. Um, it is a fascinating case. Um, it's it's kind of baffling, really. Like it's one of those cases where, you know, a person whose life's really on track, they're, you know, loved and they're doing really well. And then I've seen this several times studying these cases for Sandu where, you know, all of a sudden their, their behavior gets a little bit erratic and out of character in the days leading up to their disappearance, which just makes it all that much more difficult to understand what happened. Cause there's always the possibility in the back of your head where you're like, maybe she did commit suicide. We've seen cases like this where you're like, the, the behavior is odd in the days leading up to it. Um, but then it's just like, there's, there's little signs where you're like, no, there's no way in Morris case. I just don't buy that. She committed suicide, um, due to several factors. You know, there's, it's always hard to believe someone did that when they, clearly are making plans for the future. Like in her case, what she brought along with her textbooks and also stopping to get, uh, you know, police reports in regards to an accident that she'd had in her father's car recently. Um, you know, the fact that she'd been making plans to stay, you know, somewhere in Vermont, like she was planning things for the future. Um, I don't think you just like get in an accident and just decide to end your life right there. Um, so quickly, I'll go through a little bit more, even though I'm sure Michael's already gone through a lot of the details of this case. Um, but Maura Murray uh, was, you know, a really um, successful young woman who had actually uh, gone to, you know, military academy, West Point, which is, you know, really well known. It's not an easy school to get into uh, or an easy academy to get into. And then she'd also transferred um, to become a nurse and was going to the University of Massachusetts Amherst to study nursing and was uh, what I believe in her third semester um, when this occurred and she it seems had been going through a rough patch potentially with her boyfriend I believe it was a long distance relationship um, and also she was uh, upset about her sister's relationship which was souring that was evidenced by you know, a couple days before her disappearance, you know, she was seen by her boss uh, of her security job being quite upset after being on a, in a phone call with her sister about um, some struggles in her relationship. I think Mora was going through uh, a rough emotional time. I'm not sure exactly what was going on in her head at the time, but she seemed to be going through um, a period where many of us go through where you just start questioning things in your life and you need you need some time away maybe she'd been grinding for far too long and she needed a break that's the vibe I got she needed she decided she needed to get away from everybody some time to think um, maybe knock a few drinks back it seemed seemed as though maybe she had been drinking away some of her issues as well during this period of her life um, and that may have led to the you know couple of accidents that she'd had in vehicles leading up to this uh, the final accident being ultimately right at her disappearance. Um, so on the afternoon of February 9th, before she left the university campus <clears throat> campus, um, and headed out on her trip to Vermont from, from Massachusetts, um, Vermont she had spent a lot of time with, apparently uh, a time in uh, as a child with her family, 
and knew the area well and maybe that was a an area she wanted to go back to to get some of that nostalgia and and it was like a you know a comfort zone for her to really sit back and think um and i, I had a feeling she you know leaving this email for her school saying that a family member had died which no one had died she was just making an excuse we've all been there um for a week so i i feel like she had several days of staying in a cabin in vermont alone just some time to think think things through get her head straight i think that was her plan and you know she stops and get some alcohol on the drive and uh, also the police reports that she's that's one of my reasonings for why I don't think she she ended her own life intentionally um, I think what happened that evening that she disappeared on February 9 2004 that she was in an emotional state she'd been drinking while driving there was an empty beer can found and also some red wine uh, splattered on the door panel I believe of the driver door of her car when it was found. Um, I think she was under the influence, hit a guardrail, wrecked her car. There was a bus driver that stopped to ask if she needed help, at which point she told that she she lied and said that she had already called AAA, which the bus driver, knowing the area very well, knew she was lying because there was no cell service in that area. Um, so, you know, the bus driver said, let me go call 911 for you, at which point she asked him not to. That, to me also kind of leads you to believe that she was under the influence didn't want to get a DUI um, the bus driver in the time that he went to go call 911 and by the time the police responded and arrived at the scene uh, less than 20 minutes later she was gone her car left there um, and my theory is that you know due to the cadaver dogs not finding her trace in the woods you know leading they, they led up the road and then ran out of uh, ascent. So it would lead you to believe that she got in a car. Someone picked her up. It was after dark. Um, and she was trying to avoid getting a DUI. I think she would have taken a ride from anybody. I think she waved down a car, got in. Maybe it was the wrong car. Maybe it was uh, somebody who took the opportunity to take advantage of a young woman who was intoxicated and begging for a ride. Maybe this was a bad person that did something to her. Or maybe this person gave her a ride, dropped her off, you know, at a, a small town somewhere or on the side of the road somewhere else. And she was taken advantage of there. I don't, I don't see many other options here. I don't think she wandered into the woods and perished because they've done such extensive searches of those areas. I think for sure her remains would have been found a long time ago. I believe they would have been found. And I don't think she would have lasted very long um, in New Hampshire. Uh, in after dark in February, she would have perished very quickly and not very far from where she took off on foot. In my opinion, she wouldn't have made it very far. I think she got a ride. She waved down a car. And as we've seen so many times in true crime guys, hitchhiking is a very dangerous activity. It was mainly done, you know, way back 60s, 70s, 80s, and not done all that much anymore, but it really puts you in a vulnerable position. And this was still early days of cell phones and um, advanced technology. Facebook had had just been created like I want to say a few weeks before her disappearance you know it, it was the flip phone days in 2004 and I don't know how advanced their GPS tracking of phones were obviously it's not um, helped in the search for her they were not able to track her phone down it's never been found her phone or wallet none of that's ever been found so you know if it was someone that killed her they did a good job of disposing of that 
evidence and also of her body because it's never been found either. I just don't see a scenario in which she wandered off and succumbed to the elements in the cold because, like I said, I think she would have been found. I don't think she could have made it very far. Um, I don't think she was prepared to go walking through the woods in the middle of winter in a very cold environment. You know, you have to imagine she was prepared to to drive and stay in a, a heated car. She probably had it, you know, just a, a jacket and that was it. Not full on winter camping clothing. So I think she got a ride from the wrong person. That's my opinion. Or she got a ride from a normal person and then wherever that person dropped her off, someone else found her and took the opportunity to snatch up a young pretty girl um, and that was in a dire situation and take advantage of her and apparently did a good job of disposing of the evidence uh, for all this time and has never said anything about it clearly um, because it's been 18 years and she's never been found and there's been a ton of pressure. I mean, this is one of those missing persons cases where there's been no lack of effort put out there. Her father has been um, relentless in his search for his daughter, doing everything he can, trying to put pressure on the police department to release, you know, countless pages of uh, their reports. I want to say it's like hundreds of pages of reports that he was trying to fight in court to get released. And um, there has been some stuff released in January of 2022. There's uh, the FBI issued a national alert in her case and created a violent criminal apprehension profile, allowing multiple law enforcement agencies to share information regarding her case. So it's being shared back and forth between law enforcement, but that doesn't sound like it's been released to, you know, her father or to the public. It's got to be killing him to, you know, he wants to do his own investigation. I'm sure he doesn't feel like the police are doing enough. Of course, there's people that go missing all the time and the police only have so much time. There's still active crimes going on all the time. Even, even in uh, Vermont, Massachusetts, and uh, New Hampshire, there's still crimes going on there that they have to investigate as well. But um, as much pressure as there's been, the fact that you know if some if there was foul play that no one's talked tells me this was probably a you know a single figure. I don't think that multiple people did this because I think someone would have talked by now with as much pressure as there has been on this case. If it was multiple perpetrators, I think someone would have talked. I think this was one person taking advantage of you know a young a young woman hitchhiking disposing of the evidence and never talking about it maybe potentially a repeat offender serial killer maybe the person did this and died shortly after and we'll never know where her body is i don't know um but i hope that you know for her family's sake that she gets some closure that, that they get some closure and uh you know this this mystery it's almost two decades in the making is finally resolved. I know there's so many theories out there as to what happened to Mora, but the most likely to me is that she waved down a car trying to avoid the DUI and got in with the wrong person or was dropped off and someone else got her. So that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next week. All right. All right. Lauren, thank you for that synopsis as always. Well, we didn't we didn't agree on this one. That's cool, because uh, that's what that's why we have Lauren synopsis. We let Lauren have his own opinion, do his own studying, come to his own conclusions, and it just gives the listener, you know, one more idea to bounce around in that head. Uh, guys, I won't keep you too long. I just want to announce one big thing in housekeeping today. 
and that is the $5 tier at patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. Um, if you're unfamiliar, and if you're already a patron of Sandu, it's okay. Um, but all the content on patreon.com slash podcast will now be on the $5 tier on patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. All of our Patreon content will be under one umbrella. And that, like I said, that will be on the $5 tier on True Crime Guys or patreon.com slash truecrimeguys starting March 16th. All of the back catalog of Sandu, all of the Sandu stories, all 70 plus episodes of Strange Shorts, all of that will be immediately uploaded to the $5 tier um, on the True Crime Guys Patreon page, which is linked below this description. Um, like I say, on the 16th, and then moving forward, everything will be released on both Patreon pages um, for a, a limited amount of time, hopefully. Um, basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get everybody from Sandu to just sign up on the True Crime Guys got uh, True Crime Guys Patreon, and it will just make everything a little bit simpler, and it also gives you basically a Patreon deal of a lifetime. So on that $5 tier, you will have access to the Patreon exclusive from True Crime Guys, as well as um, just the banter every single Friday. And then you will get access to Strange Shorts, of course, which we release you know, every fourth episode here on the free platform on Strange and Unexplained. But you'll get episodes every single Monday on Patreon. Um, also, Sandu Stories every single month. And Higher Thoughts will be sprinkled in as well. And also, uh, Sandu Stories. Mentioning that, there are 13 already released chapters of Sandu Stories. I think there are three on this platform on Strange and Unexplained. The earlier ones. And guys, we just keep getting better with those Sandu Stories. We're now on chapter 13. And all 13 of the uh, all thirteen of the Sandu Stories episodes will be released on the 16th as well. And then every new episode moving forward. Also, last but not least, we will be introducing the Five Minute Murder Show with Lorne with video. So it'll be a quick five to six minute video. Lorne breaks down a case. He shows you guys some pictures and some background, lets you know what these people look like, the victims, uh, the possible culprit, or whatever it is. And that will be every week on patreon.com slash guys. The first video is already in the works, and there will be more to come. So, for the five dot at the five dollar tier, you'll be getting access nearly every you'll, you'll be getting a release nearly every weekday. So it's a it's an incredible bargain, guys, for less than your Starbucks coffee. And Patreon now allows you to sign up for annual memberships, and you get a ten percent discount if you do that. So. Guys, again, that's patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. Now, if you want to stay on patreon.com slash sandu, there's no harm in that. That but that Patreon page will stay up, and the other tiers on the True Crime Guys Patreon um, will still be available as well. Nothing is really going to change other than the $5 tier on the True Crime Guys Patreon getting access to basically everything that True Crime Guys Productions creates. All right? All right, guys, I think I've rambled enough, and uh, I'll see you next week for a new strange and unexplained case. All right? So be strange. Just don't be strangers.
You hush your mouth, boy.